Today, it is about you. I want to hear your calls. I want to hear what you're interested in. I want to just uh, chat and answer questions. Uh, I see already the Twitter spaces is filling up and people's hands are up. But all you got to do is raise your hand there and uh, I will bring you up to the platform. And in doing so, you'll be streaming out of multiple platforms wherever we go, which is Rumble, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, wherever. Uh, but uh, the Christmas is approaching. There's a lot of craziness out there. I just really am interested in what's on your mind. Uh, you know, with last time we did a um, strictly call-in show, I did a recap of sort of where I was at with some of the COVID material. I think we've sort of covered that territory, but if you need any further clarification, again, uh, people seem confused about so much. And indeed they would be because there's still a lot of questions to be answered. And uh, that's been one of our questions is why go so hard on the mandates or so hard on certain recommendations when there still are so many questions. But we'll get into that and more. Let's get right to it. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a doctor for sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, everybody. I'm just watching it, the restream. Uh, Merry Christmas with Chris. I understand Chris was at the uh, Rams-Green Bay game last night, and uh, it was a little bit cold, a little bit cold. I heard the wind chill was like 40 below or something, trying to play football, and that is super crazy. Uh, again, I'll be watching the restream, and of course, we're over in the Rumble Rants as well, and Jeff's over there. I see you. Did I see... Gene Simmons pushing the vaccine. I did not. Um, look, I, I have no problem with people pushing vaccine. I have no problem with people being concerned about the vaccine because there's still some questions. My, my lingering question, you know, as people know, I think, that I have my elderly patients vaccinated and boosted and we're getting lots of boosts. I do have a question of how much boosting we're going to do, particularly since most of them have now had COVID also. And in the day of Paxlovid, it's been quite easy to prevent the COVID from becoming a very serious problem. I've seen some serious stuff with people who were not vaccinated and not able to get access to the Paxlovid. This was earlier on, and that wasn't so pretty. But now that we have uh, treatment options, it's not as big a deal as it was, certainly. So A, how many times are we going to boost? Is it going to be a yearly thing? And if so, 
at what risk? I think there's a couple questions that need to be answered that. I'll address that in a second. And the other uh, issue is what to do with the younger population. Uh, if you remember, I spoke to Debunk the Funk the other day, and he was saying that myocarditis in uh, vaccinated cases is less severe than viral myocarditis. Article came out yesterday, suggests that's not true, that it's just the same as viral myocarditis. So again, these things are going back and forth. There needs to be a consensus yet reached. Same question on, say, 17 to 27-year-old, even 35-year-olds. What are we doing there? How much risk are we exposing them to? And I think I mentioned the other day, the difference between taking a healthy person and giving them a medical intervention and making them sick versus somebody getting sick because of the natural history of infectious disease, those are ethically two different circumstances. And when the natural history of a, the infection itself is so mild, what is it we're doing? Now, we also have questions about the endotheliitis. If you remember with Dr. Ryan Cole, we talked about endotheliitis in particularly in coronary arteries, but it appears to be in large vessels as well. You heard the story of the young 35-year-old journalist at the at the Qatar World Cup Games dying suddenly of a ruptured aortic aneurysm. That is unheard of in a young person without something called Takeyasu's arteritis, which is a chronic inflammatory disease or can be acute as well. But what is why was he getting Takeyasu's arteritis? And could that have been related to the vaccine? And is there other things related to the vaccine in terms of endothelial inflammation that we should be worried about? We've had a caller. I don't know if she's here today. Uh, I'm going to look for her. Christine, who's a, neuro, a biotech researcher who was alerting us to the idea uh, that, oh, Dr. Cole is here somewhere. So maybe Dr. Cole in. Uh, was alerting us to the idea. Well, this is actually a question I have for Dr. Cole. And I do see you there, Christine. Uh, Dr. Cole, do me a favor and put your hand up because I have a very specific question for you. Uh, and it is, Christine, I'm glad you're listening because uh, you were actually the one that suggested I do ask Dr. Cole this question, which I was already planning to do. Caleb, I don't see him in the audience there. Is that where I'm going to find unless he, him? Unless he dropped off since I noticed him. I see him. He's uh, I'm on my screen. I Shoot. Him, about four people down. It's just... Uh, um. That would be a shame because I have a really specific question for him. Uh, and the, the question is if he's still listening. I see Dr. Uh, my infectious disease friend is here as well. Maybe I'll maybe I'll bring him up. If I don't find Dr. Cole, I may do that. Uh, okay, I'm going to ask you. Whoops. I'm going to ask you to be a speaker here. There you go. And I'm going to do one more. Oh, there's Ryan Cole right here. I'm going to ask him to be a speaker. There we are. Uh Brian, yep. Dr. Cole, are you there? I hear you. Oh, you're muted again. There, now oh, you're, there, I am. there you are. Yeah, I, now, here I am. Sorry about that. I'm just learning this Twitter space stuff. So here you are. Um, Thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate you betcha. it. Yeah, happy to answer any questions you have. So the the speaking to the other day, the thing that you know I came away with that was most impressive to me was the the physiology of endotheliitis being so prominent in what you were seeing in these vaccine reactions, okay? Is, as I, I took that, that's accurate, correct? Absolutely, okay, and I think that's, that's one of the primary harms. Okay, Absolutely. so there's a biotech researcher on the line here with us as well, who I know is listening, and she alerted me to the fact that when they were doing research on the spikes, they found that not only were three different, four different spikes, and maybe even some enantiomeric spikes beyond that being produced that have unknown 
immunological uh, sort of uh, response, although the Pfizer apparently is on the record saying it just broadens the immunological response rather than specifying exactly what that immunological response is. So there's something nonspecific about this, the, the spike proteins that are being presented. But she alerted me to the fact that not only are these different subunits assembled in different ways, but there are actually fragments, fragmentation, and abnormal folding. And so my question, Correct. and so my question to you was, can you distinguish a norm the different types of spike protein in the endothelial lining and distinguish the types from and or distinguish the types from the fragments? Yeah, technically, yes. Um, there's in the vaccine, it's uh, a prefusion lock with two prolines. So it's slightly different than you're gonna see in the infection itself. But when, when we go to the tissues and stain it, you know, looking for the presence thereof, uh, there's one stain we use that will bind just receptor binding domain. There's another stain we can use that will look just at the S1 subunit. And then there's another one we can use that'll look at the full S1, S2 together. So we can tease those out under the microscope. The majority of the autopsy studies have been done so far have been looking just at the S1 and the receptor binding domain. But, but to see it deposited, you know, within these vessel linings. And and it is, I mean, it's massively abundant, which is what's so concerning. Yeah. But yeah, we we can tease those out. We can, um, you know, it's kind of, maybe we'll go over it on next uh, next show on how you you actually make antibodies using different mammal models so you can stain just about any protein you're looking for right. in the human. I see, that would be interesting to me. But but it, it does bring up sort of two, you know, I, what I'm trying to solve in my own mind is why some people get severe reactions and some, some people don't. Um, maybe there's more I think I, Go ahead. I think part, part of it to me is uh, it, it's receptor distribution. And interestingly, different populations are have more ACE2 receptors genetically, just plain and simple. You had said that. And, and so because of that, I think some individuals are more susceptible to an adverse reaction genetically than others are per se. And, and again, we're all such unique individuals biologically that, you know, that, I think that's the question for the ages. Why have so many people done just fine and yet so many people not? And I think, I think we'll tease that out over many years, unfortunately. Right. And, and what, what you know, of course, is disturbing to me that just to ask that question somehow, you're anti-vaccine. It's like, no, 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 no. No, we we want, we want to know more. We want to use it properly. We want to make sure we understand where you know what the risks and benefits are, so we can inform our patients. That that's all. Absolutely. That's yeah. All. Gen genetics matter. Genetics absolutely matter. I mean, if you even go to like chemotherapy for certain types of leukemia, you know, you'll absolutely destroy certain patients with leukemia if you don't check their genetics first in terms of are do do they have the enzyme to process that chemo? So, I mean, in medicine, there's so many things where we absolutely have to know: Are you predisposed to an adverse reaction to this medication so because yeah anyway and my other question was is, is this all strictly in the in the endothelium or does it get into the other layers into the media oh or no yeah no this is that's a very important question so yes it's in the endothelium but then it also uh, will involve in especially in the large vessels and i've seen multiple ruptured aortas now and unfortunately most patients haven't made it i have one patient uh triathlete out of australia i have her tissue she 
miraculously survived. But no, that it will transmigrate actually that spike protein, and it will be in the media of the the wall of the thicker vessels, and then the pericytes the, the that surround vessels. Um, you know, it, it can get into the pericytes as well. So it's not like it's stuck just on the endothelial lining, but it can actually. Uh, work its way and bind all the way across the thickness of a vessel. And I'm and I'm guessing that's where we get the more catastrophic. And and I guess the question is in in the stuff you're seeing is it equally distributed amongst coronary arteries, renal arteries, aortas? Is it is there sort of a anatomical sort of distribution to it? Yeah, just about everywhere. I mean, that's that's Weird. the 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 so alarming strange. aspect. Yeah, I mean, it's in venules, it's in arterioles, it's in arteries, um, and again, it's just that replete uh, binding domain that exists within uh, our vascular linings. So. Uh, of all the tissues I've looked at so far, the ones I've reviewed with my colleagues in Germany, um, it really does have a predilection to bind two vessels, be they big, be they small. Yeah, I was thinking about and when you were talking about the idiosyncratic reactions to uh, to chemotherapy, and one of the reasons the PDL1 medications uh, are sort of not being more widely used is because occasionally they cause catastrophes and we can't exactly. figure out in whom those catastrophes are going to be. And, and exactly even, right. And, and by the way, even I was telling a group, I was, I do a lot of work with prostate cancer research and I was telling this group, I said, you know, even it's one thing when it, it, you know, a chemo, you try a chemo, it doesn't work. Oh, sorry. It was, you made you sick, but sorry. That's not the way it is with these meds. It's, it didn't work and it caused a catastrophe. So it's, it, these, this is why we are so worried about this. This, this is the way this vaccine kind of looks. Now, the other big question I had, this, this will be the last one I bother you with is how are we going to distinguish between what is happening from the illness versus what is happening from the vaccine? And this goes back to looking for the presence or absence of whole virus. So obviously, in the tissues, I'm looking for whole virus and or spike protein presence. And in the absence of nucleocapsid, in the absence of membrane, in the absence of envelope proteins, and only the presence of spike protein, it's it's pretty easy to tease out um, presence of virus or presence of just spike protein. But, but been- I, I think what I'm getting at is... I don't feel like the data is being properly accumulated. I get that we can distinguish between the two, but no, but I, I agree. I, yeah, I understand I, the question. Yeah, I just don't feel like I understand yet. I, I, for instance, and by the way, what what might be even be caused by both, right? Oh, because yeah, uh, everybody's certainly. sort of both now, <laughs> and well, so that's that's yeah. the unfortunate aspect is we see so many papers now that discuss. Oh, you know, long haul or, or vaccine injury or not injury, but they leave out the the vaccination status of the individuals in these studies. And I think that's so critically important. Is it, you know, long haul COVID caused and or is it vaccinal? And I think to leave that factoid out of the studies really is it's disingenuous because it doesn't give us that bigger picture. And it's unfortunate because we really do want to know, okay, if it's vaccinal, obviously, then we need to, uh, you know, be very careful with what we're doing with the program. If it's, you know, viral, well, then we need more antivirals and we need more therapies. So that's a great question. And we, we should be teasing that out. Uh, we have to, we can't really, nothing else matters right now, except these kinds of questions. And it's just, just awe-inspiring to me that, that it's sort of, uh, some sort of violation to even ask the question, let alone go after answering them, which I trust eventually we will. It's just, 
And and then I then I then in my own sort of heart, I think, why are they going at the recommendations so hard in the face right. of these questions? That's sort of my concern. Thankfully, most of my patients these days are elderly, and I'm kind of clear what I'm doing, and I'm kind of clear what the risks are. But boy, if it was a 25 year old, I, I I'd be very confused, and I'd have difficulty even giving them informed consent. Well, risk benefit ratio in everything in life, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Here's somebody is asking here, are the reactions involving blood vessels, heart, cardiovascular system unique to the mRNA or is it applied to all vaccine modalities? It, it, I'm going to answer it and say it is unique to these new mRNA vaccines that produce such high quantities of spike protein. Would that be correct? I agree a thousand percent. Yeah. Yes. Well, Dr. Cole, listen, as always, we really appreciate talking to you. And we're going to bring you back, what, in about three weeks? We're going to have you back yep. on the show. All right. February so, 1st. So I've given you some. Thanks. I want more slides on these issues when you come oh. back. Okay. All right. All right. I'll, I'll do my homework. Thanks, Thanks Dr. buddy. Drew. Thank you. That all, is, all the best. Dr., you bet. Dr. Ryan Cole, who's extraordinary and um, has been one of the more clear voices in, in the, the soup that is the controversy around vaccines and whatnot. Um, I'm going to ask Siobhan to get up here with me. I know you're, I see you. There you are. Uh, welcome Yo. back. Thank you, Dr. Drew. It's a pleasure to be back on. So what and, do you think of that um, little conversation I just had with Dr. Cole? I was absolutely fascinated. I put my hand up a couple of times only to realize that Ryan was literally reading my mind. So <laughs> well, it's, but so it are you seeing this or you're infectious disease doctors, just so people know. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're, you've kind of, I think your head's in exactly the same space mine is, which is, yeah, there are things that I understand things I, where I kind of know what I'm doing. And there are things where it's, there's a lot, too many questions, too many questions that yeah. these aren't, these questions aren't being urgently addressed. I mean, I, I, I'm constantly fascinated by the level of my ignorance and by the level of other people's overconfidence. And I, I've been in that place for the last two years. And I'm like, am I on the right or the left side of the Dunning-Kruger uh, equation. <laughs> well, well, you know, usually after you're highly, highly trained, you end up on the imposter side, right? You, you end up yeah. on the right side of the equation. A and I, I, you know, humility, I think is very important in the face of a, uh, of a situation like this. So don't you agree with me though? It's odd. The, the rigor with which the sort of, there aren't really mandates right now, but the, but the, um, recommendations are being pursued with such rigor that it's kind of hard to understand given the things that have, the questions that have not been answered. Is that, would that be accurate? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think I'm more astounded again, you know, with the confidence with which statements are being made at a point where we we are in, we have the capability to start looking at things in the rearview mirror. It's no longer sufficient to say oh, we didn't know. Yeah. And and if at this point we keep saying and making statements like, well, you know, uh, we should be doing more of the same and asking any questions to the contrary is an act of heresy, then something has gone horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. wrong. I, as I've said repeatedly the last couple of weeks, like I, I'm just down to starting to reflect back onto the sort of pre-COVID days when... You know, my colleagues would, some of them would have some real outlying opinions about something that I disagreed with. And I would find that interesting. The The idea right. of misinformation almost is anathema to biology because biology yep. is, is for people that have, I've never studied biology. Biology is like trying to predict the the behavior of clouds or the weather or something. It, it's very probabilistic. It's, it's ve that's why medicine has always been considered an art. And we have, um, 
you know, what are the, the algorithmized it, you know, is so much these days that people are sort of losing track of that fact. And the, the, the uh, emphasis on evidence-based has been so profound that it's almost gotten to the point where something that's not evidence-based is somehow witch doctoring. And, and that's just not true. It's not true. Our, no, clinic, our clinical experience is valid and our judgment is actually the reason that people come to us. Not not right. for us to follow an algorithm Absolutely. or to have an evidence base to everything we do, but to apply our judgment given the evidence basis. No, and, and you know the the additional sort of logical uh, uh, extension of what you just said is that public health is a population based medicine. Mm -hmm. The job of your doctor is to take that and reinterpret it mm -hmm. for the individual. If you're still treating the individual as the population you remiss in your job. Yeah. I mean, when yeah, you look at the patient sitting across the table from you, and when when that patient is asking you, hey, I have X, Y, and Z, what do you recommend? You you should be talking about the the recommendations that have been, you know, that have been promulgated by CDC or whatever, uh, whatever agency you like to listen to. But in the end, you know, each and every individual situation is unique. And as, as you and I have spoken, you know, the, the risk benefit ratio of a 22 year old athlete who's yeah. asking about their second or first booster yeah. is totally different than a COPD who's at, who's 82 and on home oxygen. Totally and by the way, what, what I will often do is I will say, well, here's the evidence base as I understand it. Uh, but my clinical experience has been different. Now we can do it's evidence based, but I would recommend the following that that's, that is, informed consent, right? And that, and exciting. by the way, if the patient pushed back and said, you know, doc, I, I've read about this too. I'm convinced by that data. And I, I think we ought to do that. I'd say, well, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. And, you know, I'll keep an eye on it to make sure that my judgment uh, on this issue, you know, maybe I'll, I would watch you more carefully because I'm concerned about it. Something like that. You know, the point is that well, it, it is, it is our judgment that is the key ingredient that has been completely sidelined lately. Anyway, my friend, I'm going to keep I got lots of hands up. So I thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You bet. And uh, Justin Hart is visiting us. So I'm going to get yeah. him up here. Again, I'm seeing all the other hands. I'll get to you guys. Uh, yes. Thank you so much for those of you who do have your hands up. My goodness, a lot of hands up here. Justin. Dr. True, great to be with you. Can you hear me okay? Uh, loud and clear. Well, great to be with you. Look, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's not an envious position that you're in in the healthcare industry. I mean, this, these last three years have been kind of the pinnacle of uh, some real ruptures between the public and their healthcare providers. But, you know, it, it was kind of headed on that trajectory from 25 years ago when the first patient printed out the first WebMD page and brought it to you. <laughs> it, it just, <laughs> it, I wouldn't I say it was heading that way, but it, that did change things a little bit. And unfortunately, I had to educate a lot of my patients up on this. That the, as as uh, my peers started, th this is going to be the shorthand version of this. As my peers started doing, they started uh, putting a plaque up behind their front desk that said, uh, "Please do not confuse your Google search with my medical training." Right, right, well, and and that's a difficult thing too because because this became so entwined as we we spoken about on your show mm. with politics. Mm. Right, it was difficult to separate sort of propaganda for the purposes of furthering a policy versus good medicine and things that are catching up right and uh it, it's 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 a difficult challenge altogether as you see this whole thing come unraveling I, i'm i'm sighing because 
it's been a, such an extraordinary overreach by public health and bureaucracy. Uh, it, the, the only really sort of problem in the actual, you know, patient care aspects of the medical system is how doctors froze at the beginning and send people home and told them to come back when they're sick, which I thought was reprehensible from the beginning. I've never, never heard of such a thing, you know, come back when you're short of breath, like what, in what world do we do that? That was the one move. And that was because they were all employees. Everyone's all employed up now, afraid to lose their job. And they're responding to the algorithms set up by their employee and afraid to run afoul of that. I, I did not know that before this pandemic, and here we are. Well, that's that's great to know. I, I had um, I had Dr. Cole and Dr. Bocciari on a panel about two weekends ago in Miami. I was the moderator, and I asked them kind of that very question: like, Did you guys know that everything was so fragile and political at the top there? And you know, I, no. I don't think you know Dr. J has never made a motion into politics in his entire life until yeah. he was kind of forced to take a side. And they, I think they were really kind of you know just, just blindsided by us by many of us, right? Shocked, shocked. Oh, look, there's a mug. Mike, uh, Caleb just put a mug up there. That? Is that going to be our our mug, Caleb, or is that somebody else put that out? <laughs> so, please, someone already. Please someone do not confuse your group. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. I like that coffee mug. All right, Justin. I have a question for yes. you. Wait, I have a quick question please. for you on the vaccine, though. So, yeah. So you know, I look at this from not a healthcare perspective, but from sort of a a business funnel perspective, right? Mm. And when we when we talk about business funnels, we talk about Someone comes to the website, uh, someone clicks on a link, they've now left us their email address, and they've now become a customer, right? That's kind of our funnel. In terms of healthcare, you do the same sort of thing. So many people get sick, so many people are tested for influenza, so many people are hospitalized, so many people die, right? The burdens that the, the CDC puts out. But my question is, on the vaccine, there are a couple other failure points that are really interesting to me, because you made the point to Dr. Drew, like, what, or to, sorry, to, to Dr. Cole, what, it was like, why do some people, are they yeah. so successful right. bearing with it versus others? And, and if I think about other failure points, one of them would be like the QA uh, corners that were cut, right? We know from certain tests that certain vials, they were put in uh, more of the concoction than others, right? Than the solution. And then we know also that, that you know there could be some implications as to where in the arm you get it, right? If this hits a capillary, if this gets yeah, into your bloodstream. I've heard. That, I, I don't, I, tell I, me so your you, thoughts on that, those other sort of, non-MRI gates, yeah, right? It's, like, I, it's I, not about the vaccine, it's about the process. We have, um, I'm going to have to double check her name again, Teresa Long coming in tomorrow, and I heard her talking about those things. Actually, I think I heard Peter uh, McCullough talking about it too. Uh, I, I, you know, having given, you know, somewhere around 100,000 intramuscular injections in my life um, to patients, I, I do not see, that's coming up tomorrow, I do have not seen really, unless you hit a major vein, which just, I, you protect against that by pulling back on the plunger. It just does not happen. So the idea that some sort of capillary bed is going to absorb extraordinary, I, mm -mm, not my experience. So okay. I, I worry about that one. In terms of the the mix, admixture and you know whether something has more or less, I just haven't seen that data. So I, I need to get right. more informed about that. Uh, I, I would imagine a bigger load would have some difference, but I'm guessing, I'm guessing the regulators have a range that they were allowed to be within. And within that range, some more, some less, but I'm guessing that range, you know, we all know this was rushed to market, so maybe they didn't do enough testing on the on the you know effects of that range. I don't know. I just haven't seen the data. That's fine. Thanks for those details. Okay. And uh, thanks for having us the other week. 
great boost on the book sales and I appreciate uh, all the love you're giving to this COVID venture here. What a crazy time. What a crazy time. Thanks for keeping your head above water. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it very, very much. Uh, now I'm going to bring Christine up who is a done biotech research and she was the one that alerted me to the fragmentation of the spike protein. Christine, um, you heard some of that conversation. Do you want to add anything to this? I do two things. And Dr. Cole, if you're still listening, I'm a huge fan. Thanks for everything and all the work you're doing and helping people. I don't know if he's still here, but yeah, there's two things I wanted to add. Um, when you said... <laughs> yeah. there's uh, something I wanted to bring up before you even said it. So we must've been on the same wave. Yeah. You talked about medicine predicting the behavior of clouds. Yes. When, when I worked in, you know, in recently in biotech, we would take MRNA and we would transfect the cell with it. We would, you know, encase it in a lipid nanoparticle and it would make its way through the phospholipid bilayer into the cell. Mm-hmm. When we, we did a project we would always start with at least two different types of cells, but we would use a, a small amount. We would do what was called a small scale run because we had a phrase we always used. Biology is going to do what biology is going to do. Yes. Even in a controlled lab yes. setting with all the variables constant you could have, temperature and you know, all the chemicals involved. And we would see variances you know, we could repeat a project and it would turn out a bit differently using the exact same cell line. Yes. So we would start with a small amount to do maybe, I don't know, one milligram, just one, like one liter of, of, you know, material before we would jump to higher amounts because it would start to vary really wildly. Mm-hmm. And I had sent, I think you, the, there was an article regarding a question you'd asked if, different people expressed different proteins differently because that's what's happening with mRNA vaccine. And and I think we're reading that, yes, different people are genetically predisposed even with their own proteins, not even the mRNA vaccine. We're just talking about their own proteins. Different people express different proteins in different ways. Yep. Yep. And, And that might be at the core of these adverse reactions, right? Possible. We just don't know. Um, we don't know. That's right. Off. It could be the fragments. It could be the expression of protein. It could be, God knows. I mean, they're not doing the research. But but I want to go back to your point about behavior of clouds. I mean, even the data you you sent me had a scatter. I mean, there was a there was a, certainly a spike within that scatter that was the predominant response. But, I you know, the, we used to do, when I was training as a biologist, we used to do the old least squares analysis on everything because everything was just a scatter and you were just sort of estimating what you thought was going on. And particularly back in those days, we didn't have the same kind of experimental instrumentation. And it's just to say, to think in terms of biology, having X input and Y outcome is anathema. It doesn't work like that. That's not how biology works. You put X in and you might get mostly Y, but you're going to get Z and F and Q and R as well for sure. Uh, and you have to understand what's happening with all that in case there's something inadvantageous going on. Agreed? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Justin was asking about um, attenuated vaccines that are uh, weakened virus getting injected and the reaction in the the capillary bed was that the question if it yeah, would do was, anything. Yeah, there's a lot of de- a lot of talk right now about some sort of, you know, some sort of 
massive distribution of the virus of the vaccine by virtue of the delivery into some sort of rich venous system or a specific large venous vessel and i'm just telling you that that just really doesn't doesn't fit my i'm not gonna say never right we're biologists but it doesn't fit my clinical experience at all as somebody that is doing im administrations all the time so i was gonna add i the company i worked for recently we also made vaccines and we would use a uh, different uh, different viruses too to when we we're just doing things in the lab but you know this the mrna makes the body express a protein mm-hmm. in cells where the lnp is coming in contact with so when you've got a virus that's coming in that's attenuated it's you know just by pure biology, like thinking I haven't given people vaccines, although I've, you know, I've received them. I got a Tdap, you mm-hmm. know, recently, so I'm not against them, but it's not going to express the protein like it, it, what it's, it's doing thing. now. It's a different right. thing. Right. Different, also, mechanism. Dr. Wiseman sort of impressed upon us that when there is this kind of commandeering of the, of the protein manufacturing apparatus, that the CDC defines that as gene therapy. I, I, I didn't, I've not looked that up since he said that. Is, do you understand that to be true? I don't. Um, I'm not a fan of the phrase gene therapy. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> I don't worry about that. Uh, I know someone else is listening, and I don't know if he has his hand up, and I don't want to name him. And I, I sent you a little message on YouTube that uh, you know there's been talks if it gets into the genome and the tests that have been done. Yeah. I know Dr. Malone really spoke about the very specific conditions of that test that was done yes. to see if it was reverse transcription word that the, I don't think that's been replicated to say that it's actually gene therapy. So, so I do have, there was a project that I worked on and worked with the scientists with that are in stage that it's in stage three clinical trial right now using mRNA mm-hmm. to help kids with a devastating disease that I, I can't say the specifics due to NDA, mm-hmm. but that is gene therapy because it was targeting uh, you know, specific a gene and doing knockout, what's called where you homologous repair of a, you know, something that was defective and changing yes. it itself. Yes. That would be my definition of gene right. therapy. Right. Well, that's what I always think of as gene therapy, you know, this CRISPR and that kind of thing. Yeah, that that's, yes. pretty, that's a totally different thing. Yeah, well, where you're going with guide mRNA, it's called, it's almost like uh, instructions you would give a missile for a bad analogy, but yeah. it, you take the CRISPR and then you take guide mRNA and it, mm. you direct it to where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. But then you've got off-target effects. Right. But they, like they think they, uh, oh my gosh, like they did tests with animals where they were adding in a gene from a squid or. Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is the, this is the future, the future of healthcare. We always said it was going to be stuff like this, but it, we're a little over our skis maybe right now, but Christy, I've yeah. got, I've got, I think I see Thanks. your, I think I see, I've got the gentleman that you recommended to come on up here. So I'm going to get him up. Okay. Tyler. All right, <laughs> Tyler, here he comes. I'm going to bring Tyler, Tyler up right now. So Tyler, there you are. You got to unmute that left, that mic in the left corner there, Tyler. Oh, hey, Dr. Drew. Tyler, uh, so you heard that little conversation. You heard what we've talked about so far. Now it's yeah, your me turn. And me and Christy have been talking a bit about the fragmentation. Um, as you know, she has some files from the Australian government where they showed the HPLC analysis um, from the Pfizer uh, injection, and it clearly comes out um, fragmented. Um, but I, I had a question. So early on when they um, released these and they had people coming in for repeated boosters, this was after 
um, you know, the first two doses and then people had multiple boosters in a year. I was curious, what do you think the consequence of reintroducing um, a pathogen over and over? Um, I'm thinking in terms of uh, the mechanism of self-tolerance, the reason your body doesn't yeah. attack your yeah. cells. Um, I, I know early on that topic came up a lot more than it has been discussed lately. Uh, so I don't have an opinion. And remember, this is a this is an this is not. I, I'd be worried more about that with a vaccine like Covaxin, which is a attenuated virus, a whole virus, while while or a killed virus. And this is totally different thing. This is just causing the protein machinery to activate. So you're you're wondering whether and and presumably we're sending different antigens in slightly every time. So I don't know. I just don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure. I remember uh, Dr. Malone shared a publication a little while back, and it, there was clear data kind of buried in it showing that the mRNA, uh, the spike protein synthesized from the mRNA actually remained in the tissues much longer, almost as far out as six months compared to um, someone who actually got COVID. That was cleared within a much shorter time. Yeah. Um, so. We are, we are seeing more infection this is dr weisman's data uh within the weeks after vaccine which is odd also right that, that they're more likely to get infected or you know manifest clinical manifestations of an infection in the short term whatever that's doing again lots of questions right and and uh, do you are you aware of any of these things being addressed or, or, or attempt to answer these questions no, I haven't. I, a matter of fact, I was actually wondering, I haven't seen for myself, is there even, has there even been validation of the intended protein product in the correct folding and correct confirmation? My understanding is in the bivalent, they have documented the correct folding of four subtypes. Okay. Two Omicron and two, um, because there's three, there's three different two and one in every pro in every uh, S protein, right? There's three different sub subunits, two of one type, one of the other. And so the way it assembles, there are four different, but I said, you know, what about the, the chimeric changes? What about enantiomers? And apparently there can be enantiomers also, and that's also not been studied. Right. That's, that's very interesting. So <laughs> that these, these types of things would be like required for peer review. But in, yes, in they'd the be required. This, this is the thing that I think, flips out some of us that have been around a while it's like in in the usual course of medical research and bringing something to market all this stuff had to have been answered and all of a sudden not only was it not answered it's considered some sort of sin to ask the question about it that's the part right. that i find astonishing just us asking the questions of the normal course of medical research as it has been done throughout modern history of biology all of a sudden is problematic it's like that's a, i can't even believe i'm saying that but it's true would you agree yeah absolutely so there you go all right well thanks tyler for coming in i appreciate it very much i need to i see a lot of your hands up i see you i'm going to try to get to as many as i possibly can we have to take a little break we'll be right back Want to give the gift that keeps on giving? Genucel Skincare keeps everyone on your holiday list looking young and refreshed. And who doesn't need that type of luxury, especially over the holiday season? Genucel has so many products that Susan and I love. Genucel's XV Moisturizer locks in moisturizer on top of the serums, making dry spots a thing of the past, especially great with the colder climate and all the dryness of our skin, right? And with Genucel's Immediate Effect 2 eye cream, you can see the results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed or your money back. 
Susan loves Genucel's DFS Vitamin C Serum, the new Deep Firming Serum, as well as the Hyaluronic with C and Lactic Acid, which hydrates your skin and makes fine lines a thing of the past while hopefully preventing future wrinkles from forming. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Take advantage of amazing holiday savings by going to genucel.com, and you will get 60% off with a special holiday stocking stuffer when you subscribe to my favorites package at genucel.com slash drew, and all orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the holiday season. We will get it there quickly. Use code Drew at checkout for an extra 10% off your entire order. That is genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Drew. Economic turmoil has a lot of people wondering what our government will do next. Will it be more wasteful spending, higher taxes? How do you protect your hard-earned savings? The answer could be gold. Gold is the world's oldest, most proven form of currency. It's there when inflation soars and when other assets go sideways. And that's why Birch Gold is thrilled to introduce a new product that reimagines gold as currency, the gold back. This month, you'll get a free gold back for every $5,000 purchased when you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA with Birch Gold by December 22nd, Susan's birthday, incidentally. Birch Gold will help you own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Reminder, I do not give financial advice. This is not financial advice, but you can go to Birch Gold and with every purchase you make before December 22nd, you'll get a free gold pack. This is a stocking stuffer just in time for Christmas. Once again, visit birchgold.com slash Drew. Protect your savings with gold today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Okay, I want to get to more of your calls. So let's just get right to it. We've had our little biological conversation. We see if we get more of you up here. Uh, this is Missy, and I know you've had your hand up for quite a while, Missy. So here you go. Uh, do unmute that mic, everybody, on the lower left-hand corner, the little red circle, blue circle, or red circle, whatever it is. And uh, you should be able to speak. Me? I'm up. There, nice. you, there you are. What's going on? Okay, excellent. Uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. I know that you've dealt in your past with a lot of addictions, mm -hmm. a lot of celebrities that have dealt with addictions. And what I see happening on the left feels to me, especially when it comes to these vaccines, like some sort of addiction. Uh, they're addicted to the vaccines. They're addicted to the, the blow they get, the attention they get from getting these vaccines. So at what point the vaccines that are supposed to make people healthy, at what point do they become a drug? 
And at yeah. what point to become an addiction? I, I, I always get worried about the excessive um, use of the model of addiction. I mean, for something to be addiction, it has to, in my mind, have extra physiological effects on a very specific region of the brain called medial forebrain bundle. And while you can activate that part of the brain easily and you can respond excessively sometimes if it's particularly arousing, it's not really addiction so much as uh, more like a compulsion. Uh, and oh, even though that too has a little bit of a different quality to it. Uh, but in any event, uh, I, I would, I would refrain from calling that an addiction per se. And I, and I, I'm, I've always been thinking much more about the tribal qualities that people have been manifesting lately. And, and I don't like them. I don't like to be a part of it. It's, it's, uh, makes me sad that we are being so tribal. But, um, the only thing I've noticed is, uh, when you try to have conversations with people on either side, again, there are excesses on both sides. What you find is you trigger a cognitive dissonance and you end up getting ad hominem attacks. So whenever somebody comes after you and says, you know, what you, you're fill in the blank, you know, bad person, whatever, you know, you've sort of fumbled onto cognitive dissonance. And when people say things that don't make sense or they're word salads, or I know you are, but what am I? These are the sorts of things. Let's see. Um, what do we got here? I know it's hard, Dolores, but it is the only way to wake the ones that are starting to search questions. Some take longer than others. It's just humans. That's from core physics. Okay, I'm not quite sure what that is all about. Uh, here's one. I participated in a crazy experiment. My husband and I combined our DNA to create a human life. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I'm not sure. That is that an experiment? Uh, it seems like that's already been proven that, that that'll work. So let's keep going here if I possibly can. Uh, Alex, I think this is, uh, or Alexi. Hey there. Hello. Hi there. Hey, hey, Dr. Drew. Uh, yeah, I was the uh, molecular biologist that called oh, yeah. in last time. Yes. So uh, I, I took a very deep, kind of hard, objective look at this uh, reverse prescription paper. And yes. As, as I can tell, yes. It was actually, it's, it is the only one. The only other paper related is a comment on the paper itself. Okay. Uh, oh, it's so, I'm so glad you called because while, while Christine was talking about it, I was like, where did I hear about this? Where were we talking about this? It was you. So thank you for doing that. It's much appreciated. So it, yeah. it is, it's an in vitro study, right? It's in the, in the yeah, in vitro in, study uh, and they do it in um, a, a liver, uh, liver cell, a, right. can, can, liver cancer cell line. Yeah. And that's actually yeah. a very important caveat. So, uh, we do have an endogenous reverse transcriptase, which I completely forgot about mm. from my grad school days. We uh, do. Yeah, so it's called the Long Interspersed Nuclear Element Retrotransposon huh. System. Okay. So it's kind of part of that vestigial viral parts of our genome, like with the, you know, with the transposons and retrotransposons yes. make a huge part up of our genome. Okay. So they, in this paper, they do show that um, there is reverse transcription of the mRNA, but they don't prove that it's in integrated into the genome. Yep. And the other caveat is cancer. Uh, cancer, exactly. So yeah. ca cancer cells are, you know, have, have been shown to have huge upregulation so, of so, these type of. So let me just explain for people when, when cancer is a gigantic genetic mess. Uh, the, the the first development of a cancer cell is because of a genetic error where the cell divides and changes its relationship with other cells in certain ways that it wouldn't normally do if the genes were working right. And as the tumor progresses, 
the genetics change in massive ways, massive change. And one of the things can be upregulation of all sorts of primitive left behind what would have been considered nonsense in the genome, but actually gets activated into some sort of biological process. Would that be a way to say this? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and honestly, I mean, I don't want to say that the data here is kind of artifactual. Uh, what they show is real, but it's in a very kind of artificial system that you know worth studying, worth doing a you know in an yeah. animal model. Yeah. Other other cell lines, there is a mechanism there possibly for reverse prescription. We don't know if it's integrated. I, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna declare this. A sleeper. They put this one to sleep. Yeah, because it, yeah. it's too, too much going on. The genetics. If you understand the genetics of cancer, you understand just how wide open the possibility is of something like this happening, and how unlikely, therefore, it is to happen in a normally functioning cell. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say thank you because I didn't know these were in cancer cells. And by the way, when things happen in, in a petri dish in vitro, they don't necessarily happen in vivo, which was the original problem with this study. But now, when you say this right. is in cancer cells, it's all it goes away for me. So very important. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Totally. Appreciate it. Okay. All, all right. right. Bye. So there you go. So you know, uh, Dr. Kelly believes reverse transcription is a possibility with the vaccine. I'm telling you, the evidence was weak because it was an in vitro liver cell. Now we're finding out it was a liver cancer cell in vitro. That's that's enough to say this is not directly related to 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 a, a healthy human genome functioning. Mm -mm. All right, so I've got lots of uh, people with their hands up here. I'm sorry. I'm going to try to get to much as we can here. Oh goodness. Uh, Sorry, guys. I'm I'm just I'm scrolling through whom I can. People that have not had their hands up as long as possible. This is I'm not sure what a what Anthony called thinking. Okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, are you Anthony? These screen names are uh, wild. Anthony, got to unmute yourself. Don't forget to do that. Or if you are Anthony, what Anthony called thinking. Uh, you're not unmuting. I'm not sure. Uh, and you're gone. Uh, let's talk to answers for Sean, who's been up here. I think we've spoken before some time ago. Answers for Sean. You got to unmute your mic in the lower left-hand corner, the little, little microphone icon. There you are. Hi, Dr. Drew. Good How morning. Are you? Good evening. What's happening? Uh, my 17-year-old son had to have a vaccine to continue playing hockey, right. you, which now, he did. Now, so now, you and I have spoken before, right? Yes. Yes. Yep. Okay. And uh, it was very, I mean, we remember your call vividly because it was, I mean, it affected us all. It affected us all. Yeah. He went to emergency four days after the shot. He had the same circles around his eyes that you did. Mm -hmm. And he was sent home with basically Advil. Mm -hmm. And he died 33 days later. And the cause of death, the cause of death is unascertained. That's me. I've That's to, my eye. That's the thing I had around my eye. And by the way, it was yeah. interesting. The um, football coach or something, or son of a football coach was found with that in his eye, but then was declared... Uh, an alcohol-related death, which I thought, well, thought was interesting. But yeah, this is, uh, this is a sign of the consumptive coagulopathy that we saw from the J&J &J vaccine and may have some relation to the mRNA vaccine. So it's, it's very serious. 
So what I wanted to ask you is when he went to emergency, the doctor put his notes in the autopsy and it says at the bottom query vaccine reaction. Mm -hmm. Should he not have done a D-dimer test and a troponin test while Sean was in the hospital? Because he didn't. When, when was that? Was that, I mean, if it was before, it's pretty routine now. You're right. And you know, it was four, four days after his shot, he went to emergency. No, 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 no. I mean, when in the history of the pandemic, because early on they were not doing that. Now it's is routine, but early on that wasn't so common. It certainly wouldn't have been common from the vaccine early on. There wasn't the kind of understanding of this potential. So if this emergency doctor would have done the tests, was there any chance it could have saved Sean's life? Uh, you know, trying to, you know, recreate a circumstance that I, where I wasn't there, I haven't seen the record, it's almost impossible. But but what it would have done, let's say his D-dimer was positive, I, I don't know what Sean really ultimately died of per se in terms of what the physiology was. It's very hard to talk about. And so, so I'm, I'm sorry to talk about him like he's just biological, but I'm going to do that for a second. Um, it would have alerted the ER doctor to the possibility of a pulmonary embolus or a venous thrombosis and the kinds of things that we now know happen, certainly from COVID, and there's concern that it happens from the vaccine as well. Okay. Okay. It's uh, just it's, having a result of unascertained is impossible to live with. I know. It really uh, and, is. And I look, you, you, I, you know, trying to make meaning of something horrible and and seemingly meaningless like this is is so hard. It's so hard. It is. But uh, I, I, I'm glad you're in there still fighting. And and there might be other people, if indeed there are ways to understand who can get adverse effect from vaccines and who can't, you might be in there saving other people as well. So I, I, I say keep, stay in it, stay in it. And I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, the last time we spoke to you, I, 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 you were very emotional and reasonably very emotional, and it's it's affected us till this day. Okay. Um, let me see who else we have uh, on the on the line here. Uh, sorry here because there's a lot of hands up, and I'm just trying to get to people that I have not had a chance to speak before. Uh, excuse me here while I keep looking. This is Feds for Medical Freedom. I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but let's talk to Feds. Feds? Hello? You're, you're all, you seem to be up and unmuted, but I'm not hearing you. Okay, Feds, while, uh, we wait on you here. I'm going to get uh, Ke- Kevin in here. And Kevin, you just, as I, there you are. What's up, Kevin? Oh, is this, uh, can you hear me okay? I do. Dr. Drew, thank you for doing this. I commend you for uh, having such an open mind on this topic that uh, obviously can cost you dearly. So hats off to you for, um, I, for taking I, all these I, calls. I, Kevin, I don't understand why it would cost me dearly. It's much, much like uh, Tyler and I were talking about a few minutes ago was, <laughs> This is the way we've always done things is ask questions and try to answer things when there's concerns. And the way we did medical research was, of course, more thorough than the most recent rollouts because this was an emergency. I get it. This was corners were cut all over the place. But but then to call back and go, hmm, we better answer these questions, that that should have any kind of cost to it is 
I almost, I just can't believe it. So I'll just go on doing things the way I always have, I guess. Well, good for you. Um, well, my, my background is on the genomic side mm-hmm. and, um, a trend that I have noticed is that we have about 6.5 million of these SARS genomes public and in NCBI and most of them sequenced a hundred to a thousand times redundancy so we can find variants. It's very difficult to find such data on the lots of the vaccines. Um, so we don't have a good understanding of the transcriptional fidelity in the manufacturing process. Well, so hold uh, on. So, so, so you're just talking about the mRNA side, like where there's any errors on the actual mRNA itself, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, I, and, and I, if you heard what Christine and I were talking about, we know for sure there are areas. Yeah, there is Absolutely. errors in the, in the protein transcription. So that definitely does happen. Now, whether or not that's related to some M- mRNA uh, peculiarity, I don't know. But we do know that the fragments occur. Yeah, so it's not just fragments. I think there's there's probably a single nucleotide variant in every single one of the 40 trillion molecules in every shot. Would make sense, Maybe right? We, Would make sense. Yes. It's uh, the, the modified nucleotides they're using are very error-prone in transcription and in translation. And right. so this creates right. – this is really a pro-drug that is, does not have a, a – a well QC'd or understood active drug, right. if you will. Well, uh, I mean, it, it, we kind of know. I mean, it's just a, a triggering immune response, right? It's the downstream para effects that we don't know yet. Other effects. Sure, right? it's triggering. Yeah. It's, tr- it's triggering some antibody response. Yeah. but that I'm not certain that's really a clinical proxy for success in in, in the immune response, right? We there's T cell response and a variety yeah. of other forms of response. True. So. Um, it's just, I've not seen this in medical history where we have a pro drug like this, where there is absolutely almost no QC on the final product. That's uh, the intended protein to be expressed. And and don't you, but, but we know why that happened, right? Because there was a rush to bring it to market, right? I mean, they were cutting corners. They've talked about cutting corners. What, what the part I have trouble understanding is why now when we look back and try to get a little more specific about this, now that's a problem. You know what I mean? To, To try to, to try to call back and let's get let's get this better let's get this more right like that's a sinful thing to say <laughs> that's that's the part i'm having trouble with not that we the fact that we rushed it all out and everything i i you know that we did that it was it was done consciously uh but the, now that we're trying to get it a little more uh, nailed down and that's being obfuscated that's the part i have a problem with yeah, it's, it's an important part because they do plan to roll out many more of these LNP-based mRNAs for other diseases. I know. And, Listen, and, and I hope they do the usual research on those, right? I mean, if they do, what, what what's the concern? Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I think we do need some vehicle controls here. I mean, one mm-hmm. thing I've been disappointed in the trials is I've not seen data showing just the LNPs ejected alone without the mRNA. What do those do? Good question. I, I, I'm going to, for the record, I could be wrong easily. I'm going to say, given that they are just so um, inert and so much uh, of, a, of a replication of our own endogenous cellular membranes, I can't imagine that it does anything, but who knows? You're right. It needs to be tested, right? Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Right. Um, Kevin, thank you. I'll I pass it on. Thank try you. Try to get some more calls, but thank you. I appreciate the challenging, challenging input. Uh, this is uh, yeah. River. Uh, River Parish or something. Hi, you're there. Go right ahead. Hello. Hi Can you hear me? I hear you. Hey. Um, yeah, just wanted to quickly ask, um, May 18th of 2021, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, at my urging, got her second uh, shot. And a few hours later, uh, went into sudden cardiac arrest. She was 62. Um 
<clears throat> Sorry, I, I wasn't prepared to talk about this like I should have been. Um. Anyway, um. So, so she had the second booster or the first booster? No, this was May eighteenth of twenty twenty one. So this was the second shot of the of the mRNA sequence. So the 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 completion of the two shot series. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And That's what, correct. And was it the normal duration between the two shots, or had she waited longer than usual? No, no, it was the normal duration. Okay. okay. Um, okay. And. Uh, you know, and it was a shock to us. Um, but the thing that was most shocking was this occurred in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And the it happened in front, you know, she lived with us for a while. Um, at the time she was living with my um my my sister-in-law. And this happened in front of the family. She oh, was my. holding my knee to happen. It was a few hours after the shot. Mm-hmm. Uh she was in the midst of a fever at that point. And um when we got to the hospital, uh they they immediately dismissed uh everything uh you know the 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 temporal coincidence was completely ignored uh and in a it was a shocking lack of curiosity and what i was curious about was was there to your knowledge a reason for that um yes you, you know i i'm going to say uh i'm going to say that was she a smoker no, not at all. Did, I, did, she, she have, she was, did she have any no, risk not. factors for coronary disease? Was she family history, no. cholesterol? No. Well, that's no. Weird. She, that's weird. Um, and and they actually, a team of cardiologists did examine her. Um, she was on life support for a while, um, but and they determined that that they they told us that there was no blockages. They recommended that it be entered into VARES. Mm. Um, and I, I work, I'm a software engineer, data guy. I work with data for a living. And, um, months later I decided to pull down theirs to look for, um, the entry for her knowing that it's anonymous, but I looked for someone her age with her description in Nebraska, never found any data. Uh, there was no record for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, the hospital told us they were going to give the bears number to us because I, I brought this up with them. I was pretty aggressive about it because they were clearly trying to sweep her under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, and they told us they would give us a Varys number. Um, and my sister-in-law was going to get it. She lives in Omaha. Um, she never did get a number. And to my knowledge, they never put it into the system. It, it's, um, it's not that, um, I don't know how to say this without sounding pejorative, but it's not, necessarily the case that a vaccine a suspe- suspected vaccine reaction is going to go into VARES. It, it, it's that's a common story my, my understanding um i talked to a physician here in colorado where mm-hmm. i live um about this and was told that it's just the system's a pain in the ass to use correct uh it, it takes half an hour and it's, whatever I, it is it's, it's not it, particularly a cardiologist is on to the next thing it, it's hard for them to sit down and do something like that and, right. and it, it, it's you know we're, we're we are strapped with so much bureaucratic paperwork already that to add another whatever to it i see it's it's not a, of life or death or you know getting people covered for their insurance and whatnot so they can get into the hospital that stuff i'm sure gets priority over a bear's entry and that's that's where how it gets lost, I'm sure. But but I, I'm glad they were thinking that way. The fact that she had clean coronaries is shocking. 
uh, I who knows what this was, and they yes, they're going to have to think about it as a VARES. I I thought you were going to tell me that she had a rupture of a coronary artery, and she's somebody with intrinsic disease, and you know almost any stressor can precipitate something like that. And I I would have said, well, yeah, maybe vaccine related, but not vaccine caused. But a a clean coronary, wow, that's crazy. It, it makes me wonder if there's something else even. Like maybe you should have uh, you know, big pull, pull. I, my whole thing is my view of it was as a signal. Um, and I, I didn't, I honestly thought of it as a coincidence myself. I was kind of in denial. Yeah. And, uh, what happened is I, I, I was in Nebraska for two weeks. I come home, um, after being gone for two weeks. Um, and I go to pick up my packages from a neighbor. And when I go to do it, I, he asked me what happened. He points across the street to a guy that lives a block away from me. I go knock on the door. A 35-year-old male um, used to work at Google. Uh, we actually had a lot in common, shockingly, but uh, this happened to him, except he survived, mm. um, you know, hours after. And that's when I started sort of, and and the, the denial that they encountered in the ER, um, you know, him being 35 was a whole different story, uh, obviously, but they, they encountered denial in the ER here in a completely separate state. And uh, eventually, a team from Mayo Clinic did start researching his case, but they sort of dropped all the research and never well, got back and, to him. And them. so what's happening now is the, enough of this weird stuff is happening that people can't deny it any longer. But what is interesting is that right now the story is being promulgated that it's all COVID-related. It's all post-COVID. And mm -hmm. in many of these vaccinated individuals, they'd had covid which is, so maybe it's the two or maybe it's the one, or how do we tease one from the other? And so it's, it's getting very confusing. And this is the kind of territory that I'm really concerned about. Uh, I, I don't know why this isn't, somebody's not really aggressively trying to answer this. I saw something in Great Britain. There's an Australian physician that's uh, getting a little more, who used to be one of the, the public officials there who's getting a little more stringent on this topic. The U UK health system is slowly moving in this direction to try to answer this question. Something is going on. Something is going on. Uh, is it vaccine? Is it both? Is it COVID? Is it one in one case? Something with the both? I, I just, it's, I don't know. It's confusing. But to say well, it's I, all I, COVID I really is disingenuous. I, What's that? I really appreciate, I really appreciate what you've uh, been doing. And I know it's, it's been at, uh, a, a big cost to you. You know, look, you've got a YouTube channel and everything. I understand that this, uh, it isn't a pleasant thing for advertisers and things. So I just wanted to, you know, thank you for your work on this and also for your neutral, your scientific approach uh, as well. I, I really value that as well. So thank, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to speak a little what, bit. What thank is your, you. what is your name? Uh, <laughs> well, you don't have to give it to anyone. I'll call you Parrish because yeah. it says River Parrish on here. Yeah, so. yeah, that's that's a student. I look. I had a real. I had my real name on a Twitter account uh, when this first happened, mm -hmm. and I I was I was it was it was, the, the account was nuked because I dared just describe the experience. I didn't uh, think so how they, weird you know, that is. Old, Isn't that weird? Yeah, and and look, I work in a industry where. Um, I'm a software developer, right? And, you know, let me be clear. Uh, I didn't get much sympathy from the colleagues when this happened, right? Because they, they didn't like, they didn't like to talk about it, right? Uh, so how, it's not how, something how I enjoy. Weird is how, how bizarre that is. That's I so got to tell you, I got to tell you, it was real. Well, I think, you know, my, my own father didn't like talking about it. My own father was, you know, a shut in until he got the vaccine. Hmm. 
And, and my theory on it is it was a, for him, a religious experience, right? He gets that injection. He has this extremely positive emotional association yeah. with that injection. And, and that, I, I don't care how intelligent you are, how logical you think you are. I, I think that that makes it really hard for somebody to have a neutral opinion on it after they yeah. personally go through that, yeah. right? And, they and feel liberated. No, and I right? would not blame his feelings about the vaccine as much as I would blame how much they must have scared him about the illness. Like his fear of the illness yeah. must have been yeah. way, way exaggerated and profound. And therefore, the vaccine is that much more beneficial, right? Yeah, and, and I think that that's it. And I think that, you know, honestly, people just get, I live outside of Boulder, and it's not exactly a place where people um, welcome opinions that are associated hmm. uh, in their minds with anyone right of center, right? And for whatever reason, um, just, you know, just just me talking about an experience where I suspect the vaccine was related and investigation on that topic was refused. It, it just sort of just them talking to me. I think they feel like they're associating with something that's dirty. And, that's and I hate crazy. that because it, that it is completely that, that's the right? COVIDian COVID construct, right? Where this is all have religious overtones to it. Bizarre. Bizarre. I, 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 yeah. Yes, sir. That's, that's where. It. What am I? Where am I living? <laughs> what what time is? It? Is this the eleventh century? What is going on? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, what the weird thing for me about it is, I was in Australia when it first hit yeah. uh, for work a few weeks, and and I and I got out. But what was funny is the Australian media um, in late February of 2020, they were actually fairly tempered on it at the time. Um, and they were kind of, what I just discovered was when I got back to the States, I noticed that the news was being more honest in Australia, which given how events later played out, that's, that's weird. But at the time, late February of 2020, they were emphasizing it wasn't risky to children on Australian news. They were emphasizing that younger people weren't going, you know, they were talking about the difference in, in risk by age. And when I got back to the States, you know, they were just completely leaving that out, um, which I thought was, you know, an, an interesting, uh, I, I don't understand why I don't understand the motivations. That, I, I but, don't either, you know. except the, the only thing I can see that happened and eventually infected Australia too, was the adoption of the policies of the Chinese communist party. They, yeah. they invented this. We decided it was the right thing to do. Italy did it. And then it infected the world. And if you want to see how their policy plays out, we saw it recently in, was it, I forget which cities were on lockdown. And guess what? It doesn't work. That's why they gave it up. It doesn't work. And they weren't willing to admit that at all at the time. And they were claiming complete success. And we fell for it. And we infected the world with this. And, and there, should be, there should be some, not a reckoning so much, at least an analysis of this, an honest analysis. But uh, Parrish, thank you so much. No, thank you. Right. Appreciate it. You got it. Uh, Christine, did you want to come back up and make, I have a question for you that I, I remember I said there was something I was trying to think of. I couldn't remember and I did remember now. So I'm glad you had your hand up again. There was something else you wanted to say about uh, the proteins. I actually wanted to jump off of what McKernan said when you talked about the products that are coming to market, because I just hopped to the FDA website to get that answer. And it's scaring me a little bit right now. Okay. Let's hear it. 
and I posted the link. So I went to the FDA website to look at the Orange Book preface, which I posted the link down underneath the spaces on Twitter. And it talks about approved drug products with therapeutic equivalence evaluations. Mm -hmm. And when I scroll down, and I just know this from, because I wrote a paper on the FDA and direct-to-consumer advertising and how drugs are fast-tracked to market. Um, For therapeutic equivalence-related terms and acceptance, the thing that uh, scares me in this right now, if you go down to the page and I sent Caleb the, the paragraph in here, Uh, The FDA classifies as therapeutic equivalent for those drug products that meet the following general criteria. They are approved as safe and effective. Mm -hmm. They are pharmaceutical equivalents that contain some of the same biological ingredients and outcomes. So when you were discussing the the evaluations and everything getting rushed through, that was the first thing that came to my mind. So I went right to that FDA website. Again, I posted the link. Now the big question is, are they even going to follow through with doing proper studies if it's right. already been approved? Right. Stay, safe and it seems like point? not. It seems like not. It, se- it seems yeah, yeah. like not, not only not, you're not allowed to ask. You're not allowed to say, should we? Uh, which is kind of extraordinary, isn't it? I, I always wonder if I'm missing something. Am I missing something here? What am I missing? It's shocking, but I again I sent a, sent the link and then I posted it underneath the 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 chat on Twitter. Okay, I will look at that. Is, and, is that the, and the, other, the question I had for you? Preface. Is that the document you're yes. speaking about? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, I'll pull it up. It. Thank you. Yeah. I'll add it to the website. So we're gonna have Teresa Long in here, and I've heard her recently making an issue of polyethylene glycol and ethylene glycol, and I I'm having trouble making anything of that. Do you have an opinion about that stuff? No. Okay, because uh, I've seen ethylene glycol injected and it causes necrosis. And, you know, polyethylene maybe is more inert or something. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm having trouble getting excited about that. Okay, thanks, Christine. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Dr. Drew. You bet. Thanks, Caleb. You bet. Uh, this is uh, John Bowden, I believe you pronounced your name that way. John, welcome. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Appreciate what you do. You bet. Um, you probably haven't heard my name. I've, uh, I got the death certificates in Massachusetts, um, 460,000 of them, every detail. Mm. <clears throat> I, I analyzed them starting back in March. And what I found was a, uh, in the excess deaths, there was an extreme shift. 2020, the excess was mostly respiratory, over 85 years old, and uh, definitely seasonal. Seasonal trigger, you know, we're, I'm up in Massachusetts, so... Okay. Um, you know, harsh seasons and the seasonal triggers are, are absolute. It goes like a sine wave. Okay. <clears throat> so 2021, it shifts to circulatory and blood related, mm. uh, 65 to 84 and no seasonality mm-hmm. as if, as if something came in, completely changed the symptom spectrum profile, the age spectrum profile and the seasonality profile. Now, when I, when I looked at individual records, um, and by the way, this is, I have an exhibit F in a federal court case. It's 123 pages. It correlates VAERS to death certificates. Um, it has a number of people who had onset of symptoms within minutes to hours and death within days. Mm. Almost all of them are circulatory system and blood related. And uh, let's say a um, seven-year-old girl gets injected within five minutes. She's vomiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, vomits for eight to 10 hours. They wait three weeks and they give her another shot. She mm-hmm. gets stomach pain and she dies. 
why did they give her the second shot mm. is one of the questions I'm going to ask you. But let me move on. But why, why didn't they? Why they, didn't they consider? Uh, that's the way it was being administered back then. There, if somebody had a moderate reaction, you would assume there. There, the wisdom at the time was they're just as likely to have less reaction or no reaction the next shot. Well, you know, she died, and you know what they I, wrote I on the death certificate? They, uh, they wrote COVID. They said she died of COVID, and then mm. and then. Um, Moving on, there's Diane at 62 years old, died in March of a, of a uh, stroke. She had onset of symptoms right away. Mm -hmm. Brianna was 30 years old. She had onset of symptoms right away. They sent her home from the ER with a headache. She went back. They All sent right, her so home you're, again. You're, you're informing me about something that I, I have not seen clinically so much. Uh, I have seen stuff weeks later, lots of stuff. Uh, of all stripes, whether it's myocarditis or uh, supraventricular arrhythmias or stroke, I'm seeing stuff weeks later. I've not seen the immediate reaction so much. Maybe that's because they don't they don't get out into the clinical space. They're they're in the ER and that's that. Yeah, and and they don't get coded right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so this is all through ICD-10 codes. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's all they're all D codes and I codes mostly with some. The only cancers that are showing up are bone and bone marrow C779 and C795. I'd be, be interested if the cancerous stuff that we're, people are kind of worried about now, if that starts to show up. I don't know how it would show up on death certificates because you, you know, it would be sort of a. What, what one of the theories presently is that, that cancer is presenting at a more advanced stage right now. That something about the immune response is causing that. It'd be interesting to see if you could figure that one out. No, I, I agree with that. I did find B-cell lymphocytic leukemia was just way up, but that was only in 2022. So as you know, it's going to be a delay. Like the the, the blood and blood related and blood, I call it blood transport system, circulatory system, heart being the center. That's all going to show almost immediately, but the cancers take several months. I can't um, figure out what the mechanism would be of this sudden death. Uh, it's so, so odd. That it would. Well, I, mean, I, I can mean, understand how you could get a deep venous thrombosis than a pulmonary embolus, but to have a stroke or a myocardial infarction is so weird. Cocaine does that. Cocaine, cocaine will, uh, but it does it with multiple mechanisms. It increases platelet aggregation. It causes coronary artery spasm, and it increases oxygen demand of the heart. You know, by, by being a stimulant, and those three phenomena can result in a sudden clot in a clean artery. That's the only thing I know of that does that. Well, what, what if you get a direct vein hit, which is, you know, as some people argue, it's one in 50,000 to one in 50. Uh, I can make an argument for the one in 50. You get that bolus injection. It goes and it transfects certain cells in just one area. And in that one area, the, uh, but, they but call for T-cell attack and he, scores the endothelium. But but let's talk about what happens to a, a, a bunch of mRNA. Let's say it's directed. Let's put it right in the femoral vein. It's directly in the femoral vein. Where does it go? It goes to the lungs and it's caught there and it doesn't get back to the heart. That's how it works. Uh, the coronary arteries are on the left side of the heart after you get through the lungs and things don't get through the lungs. That, that's, that's why this doesn't make sense. So I don't know. There's got to be a different well, mechanism. It's got to be something else. It's got to be something to do with platelet function. I'll tell you, I, I'm just thinking back to my own reaction with the vaccine. I had something very strange when I got the vaccine. I had a full body chill. And I thought, what a strange reaction 
from something that could not possibly have gone through my body that quickly. It's just not possible. And and I thought, what an odd reaction. And and then I got the platelet aggregation the next day. So maybe there's something with platelets, endothelium, macrophages. Yeah, I, I, something. I'm not a doctor. I just know the data. Yeah, listen, John, <laughs> I, I want to talk to you some more. Um, Let's see. Do me a favor. Send, send your information to contact at drdrew.com, will you? I want to hear more about this. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. What was it again? Contact at drdrew.com. Okay. All right. Um, just just so you know, Kirsch knows me. Ah, and, okay. Uh, a bunch of well, I, you know, okay. A bunch Kirsch, of guys Kirsch is up here on uh, Thursday. Maybe we'll pull you up here with him. Okay. All right. All right. Sounds good. So much. Thank you. Right. Yeah, it's these scary stories, and it's easy to get scared by this stuff. But we got to stand back and and do the science. And 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 again, I I'm being accused by some people of going down a rabbit hole. Well, this Steve Kirsch is coming up on Thursday, um, and, and indeed, I I it's it's you can easily fall down the rabbit hole. It's very easy. You have to kind of temper yourself. And go no, okay, I'll, I'll listen to it. Go down the hole, and then come back up and sort of think about it. And um, there and what I what I come out with is something's going on. Something's going on, and we need to know more about what that something is. Is it COVID plus? Is it just vaccine? Is it vaccine? I, I what what is it? What's going on here? And it, it's and I do think one of the I uh, I should get Aaron Cariotti back here as a bioethicist to answer this question. The difference between I brought it up early in this today's program, taking a healthy person and making them sick with a medical intervention versus allowing somebody to get sick with a natural agent. These are two ethical different situations and they're confusing to me. I feel as though when I do something interventionally that makes somebody sick, I violated an ethical principle of do no harm. Allowing somebody to get sick when I could have interfered with it, that's also ethically a problem. But if I don't understand the risk reward, it's hard. It's a difficult, these are difficult questions. Listen, uh, I know there's still hands up. I appreciate all of you with your hands up. I appreciate everybody that participated today. We are out of time. We are in here with Teresa Long and our good friend Kelly Victory tomorrow. Steve Kirsch and maybe John will be back in here as well on Thursday. And uh, next week, we are traveling a bit. So I do know we have um, Asim Malhotra coming in on Wednesday. He, he is going to blow your mind. He is a great, super interesting guy. Very, very knowledgeable, very sincere uh, cardiologist who has some grave, grave concerns. And he's someone also, his dad died of a heart attack very quickly after the vaccine. So something's up. Let's see if he has more information for us. Uh, as we said, Byram, Byram Bindle with Dr. Victory on January 4th. And then Ryan Cole returns with answering some of the questions that I brought up with him today. That will be February 1. Again, those of you listening to us on um, these Twitter spaces, we do appreciate you stopping by. And we'll always use Twitter spaces as a way of uh, spreading, you know, increasing the conversation and getting our calls and uh, hopefully giving people something interesting to listen to. Appreciate it very much. And we will see you tomorrow with Dr. Teresa Long, 3 o'clock Pacific. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. 
Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.